This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Let's get straight into a word this morning. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, if you could turn there and then put your marker or whatever in the book of John because we'll be spending quite a bit of time um, in scriptures in the book of John this morning. John chapter 25, verses 15 to 19, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responded to him and said, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Psalms 80, verses 1 to 3. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. Revelations 2, verses 4, and 4 to 6. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. By this, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Over the last or past two Sundays, Pastor Tom has been ministering on our theme for this period, which is restore. In the 80th Psalm, in verses 3, 7, and 9, there is a cry for a restoration that is made. The definition of the word restore is simply to bring back or reestablish. It is to return someone or something to a former condition, place, or position, or it is to repair or renovate, if it's a building, a work of art, so as to return it to its original condition. Amen. 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 Good. I, I, need to, I need to know that you are, you are still with me. The psalmist's cry in Psalm 80 is not a nostalgic cry to say, return us to the good old days. Rather, it is the, a call from the shepherd of Israel, or rather a call to the shepherd of Israel to say, restore us to a previous state of blessing. Restore us back to your blessing, Lord. Restore us, O oh Lord. There, there was a realization that the blessing that they once operated under was no longer there. The empowerment they once operated under was no longer there. The psalmist describes in Psalm 80 where they used to be, how God's hand was upon them, and then a cry to the Lord to say, please restore us back to that state of blessing. This morning, we continue with this theme of restore, 
And the title of this message is something that we all know together. We've all seen it at least once. It says, restore us to factory settings. <laughs> restore to factory settings. Father God, we pray this morning that you would lead, that you would guide. Father, I pray that even as I speak, this will be, your word will be like the double-edged sword. That it would speak to your people, but it would speak to me as well, Father God. Father, I submit myself as a vessel that you would make worthy this morning. I ask, Father God, that there will be great ministry, that your Holy Spirit would speak to the people. That, Father, even as I speak, the Holy Spirit speaks to the hearts of men. That the Holy Spirit would bring conviction. The Holy Spirit would bring freedom. That the Holy Spirit would minister and meet your people, Lord, at their point of need. Father, I pray for a clarity, I pray for an understanding, I pray for impact, and I pray for breakthrough in this word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The story we read about in the book of John, in the 21st chapter, is an account of an encounter that Peter had with Jesus after the resurrection. This man, Peter, was quite a fascinating character, and I don't know about you, but in all honesty, I can relate to Peter sometimes. John 1 verses 40 to 42 outlines the first encounter that Jesus ever had with Peter. It says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the anointed one, and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, that Simon, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. He encounters Simon and immediately renames him to Cephas, which also translates to Peter, which means rock. Look at your neighbor and say he is the rock. The original rock. We understand the importance and significance of names. So we understand, therefore, that there is a significance that happens that the first time that Jesus encounters Peter, he calls out the rock in him. That he would look at him and say, you are Simon. He identifies him and says, you are Simon, son of John. I know you, but I call you Peter. I see a rock within you. I call you Cephas. I see a rock within him. He's saying, this is what you will become. This is what you will develop to be. Simon means he who hears. Whilst Peter means rock. So Simon is he who hears. Are you hearing me? Okay. Looking at the life of Peter post this interaction, we see that Jesus reappears uh, or he has another encounter with Peter at his place of business in Luke chapter 5, 11, where they had toiled all night and had caught nothing. He obeys Jesus' command to say, hey, let down your nets for a catch, albeit begrudgingly, because he's saying, hey, we, we've worked already all night. We've already worked all night with, to, and found little gain. And now you want us to do this again, but we'll do it because you have said so. When they have the huge catch from verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They said to Simon, then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, from now on, from here going forward, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, 
and followed him. So in this encounter, Jesus defines further what the rock should be doing. That the rock should not be fishing for fish, but the rock should be fishing for men. That the rock should become a fisher of man. Going further, looking at the life of Peter throughout the scriptures, there are some observations that I have made. The first one is that Peter is usually the first name that is mentioned whenever there is a listing of the disciples. Here are some examples. Luke 6, chapter 12 to 16, uh, 6, verses 12 to 16 says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, and he continues to list down the other 12, or the rest of the 12. Matthew 17, 1 says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Mark 13, 3 says, Now he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. It's quite interesting that it's not only in one gospel, but it's in all gospels where whenever there is a listing of the apostles, apostles, Peter is first. I think there's significance to that. I think this shows us that there was probably a, a preeminence of Peter amongst the other disciples. There was a preeminence. He was always the first one mentioned. Peter is also the one who walked on water. <laughs> it's written in Matthew 14, verses 25 to 29. It says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, hey, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. <laughs> so Jesus says, come. And when Peter had gone down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. This showed that he was probably very courageous to be able to say, tell me. Maybe it was because he had had the encounter where they were told to let down the nets for a catch and they caught. So he knew that if he said it, it will probably happen. So it showed courage and a level of trust. Another encounter, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And brother Simon answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was, a Christ, was the Christ. So Peter received and shared a revelation that Jesus himself acknowledges to say, wow, this is truly one who hears. This is truly Simon. 
And in that moment, Jesus then says to him, you are Peter, seemingly affirming that yes, as much as you hear, do not focus on hearing only, but remember you are the rock. And upon this rock, I, Jesus, shall build my church. Peter was also, another aspect of Peter was that he was often called in with Jesus amongst normally one of the three disciples to go in with Jesus in places that required faith. In Mark 4, verses 36 to 32, it says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue. So what had happened here is that Jesus is asked by the ruler of the synagogue, say, please come and heal my daughter. And then while he's going, some woman comes and then disrupts the plan, forces her way into the plan. She gets healed and then Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And then there's a whole encounter that happens here. And then during that encounter, or at the end of that encounter, word then comes to say, hey, don't, 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 don't trouble him anymore. It's too late. It's too late. But Jesus hears this and says, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those that were with him, that's Peter and them, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talita Kaum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with Amazement. Wow. That's, I mean, Peter was there firsthand. Peter is the first one that Jesus would say, hey, Father, Mother, Peter and all, come with me. Inasmuch as there are all these great attributes about Peter, there are some that make him a bit more relatable. The other side of Peter. Pastor Tom in the video speaking about the evening service, he said that there is gold in and amongst the dirt. So even with Peter, I'm about to go through some of the dirt moments or the other moments that are like, mm. <laughs> brother Peter. <laughs> well, first of all, he is courageous enough to get out of the boat and start sinking. No, he didn't start sinking. He walked. Then he began to sink. I'm sure the other disciples were in amazement. Like, oh, Peter is, 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 is walking on water. When he began to sing, they're like, ah, that's the Peter we know. <laughs> Peter didn't always complete. He, he started well, but his follow-ups were not all that great. He started walking, but the follow-up to get to Jesus uh, didn't quite happen. Also in Matthew 17, verses 1 to 5, we read about how the account of the <laughs> Mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration, says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While you are still speaking, 
behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. <laughs> so he selected to go out onto this mount, and it's such an amazing experience. But unfortunately for him, and like many who always have something to say in all situations, he makes an offside remark. And if you read the scripture, you saw that, as even as we read it there, you saw that it was so offside that it was not fitting in such a moment that God himself had to interrupt him. <laughs> Verse 5 says, while he was still speaking. <laughs> they didn't wait for it to end. Like, no, 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 no. So you're about to mess up our moment. We have a moment here. Chill. Cloud comes. And then he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Please, Peter, please, hear him. Hear him. I'm sure Peter, when he was speaking, was saying, I'm being very humble here. I'm saying three tabernacles. There are many of us here. Look, we will, you can have the tabernacle, the tents. We are fine out here. He thought, no, you know what? Remember, I'm the one who hears. I'm the one who has a revelation. So I'm all right. I'm saying it. And I'm sure Jesus is going to say, ah, flesh and blood. <laughs> but this took God himself to step in and say, shh. Peter, like you and I. Or maybe just <laughs> like me. <laughs> Peter would often start well. After his amazing revelation that Christ is the Messiah, in Matthew 16, 21, 23 says, says that from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. <laughs> I can just imagine, remember there were 12 guys who were always together. Now if there are anything like the guys of nowadays, I can imagine the things that would be going around. Their talk now, I'd be like, hey, they hear that. <laughs> what did you hear this time? Mr. Hira, who are you listening to? Who told you to say that? Or maybe they move on from that occasion and they go somewhere and, you know, they are being served, they've been well received, and now they're in a queue for food. And because he's with Jesus, he walks with Jesus and wants to go straight to the front of the queue, and one of the disciples just says, hey, get deep behind me. <laughs> Or imagine how the others may have felt when Jesus said to them in Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the sheep and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you. I, I, everyone else, yes. But I... <laughs> will never be made to stumble. Look, I'm not sure if you used to do this, but way back when I was in high school, we kind of created a hierarchy amongst ourselves. So what would happen is if you saw a certain member of the hierarchy or of the ranking get the exam paper and you saw their mark, you kind of gauged where you were. That, at least we did that, you know. So I used to sit on the front and there was one next to me and another one there and another one there and there was, it was the four of us. So when I would get my exam paper and it had 75%, the other guys around me would start smiling because they said, ah, no, so we're in the 80s. We're, we're in the 90s. 
And if the other guys got, and now these guys were all on similar level. You know, I was trying to be an ego. You know, I was just, I was just trying to fly with them, you know. If one of them got 60% of stress, <laughs> well, I knew I probably failed or I'm in the 40s. So imagine now when Peter, who is always the first one to be called, when Peter is, 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 is saying, ah, you know, I will not, but the others will, they probably believed it and said, ah, but I, you know what? Peter walked on water. He, he may, you and I, the way we were scared that day, you even shouted, it's the ghost. We, we, there's no hope for us. Imagine how the other disciples felt being around Brother Peter. They must have surely doubted them. But then what is said should have gotten them shocked. For Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, because of the pressure of Brother Peter saying that, every, everyone else, like the Bible says, and so said all the disciples, like, how can you then be quiet? Imagine people around you are confirming their allegiance to the boss, and then you keep quiet. I know you'll be like, I oh, know, even, even, I'll, I'll die with you too. <laughs> Next one comes and says, same old <laughs> But this was the beginning of the shaking and the testing of Peter. After this, they went to the garden and Jesus again picked his guys, beginning with Peter, to come and pray with him and keep watch. Jesus goes further and comes back and to find Mr. I will die with you, failing to even keep watch and pray at such a trying time for Jesus. This happens three times. I will die with you, but I will not pray for you. After that, Judas comes with the chief priest and comes to betray Jesus. When this happens, Peter then says, hey, I will die with him. So he takes his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest and struck his ear. <laughs> Simon the hearer, I'm not sure if there was a connection. But in John 10, 18, 10 to 11 says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Now imagine that you think you are, again, you think that what you're doing is good. You're about to protect. And then Jesus stops even in the midst of all this. There are many things happening, but he still rebukes. He turns to him and says, mighty man, sheath your sword. So Deacon Isaac, I've just seen that your command is biblical. <laughs> and then it got worse for Peter. John 18, 25 to 27 says, Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. This is after Jesus had been captured and he was being taken. And then, therefore they said to him, You are one of his disciples, aren't you? And Mr. I will die with you, I will die with you, even, and I, I will not deny you, denies him. He says, ah, me? I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied and said, ah, garden. <laughs> and immediately, a rooster crowed. After the rooster crowed, things became super awkward. 
Because Luke 22, 61, 62 says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, even in amongst the multitude. He found him. I can imagine that piercing look that he got. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So Peter could not stay up to watch with Jesus three times. And now three times he denies him. He probably remembers what he had said to Jesus. Others may go, but trust me, I'm your guy. Even if it means dying with you, I will die with you. And then this began a downward spiral. And Peter wasn't the same after this. Jesus is then crucified, buried, and is raised from the dead. And we're told then that when, when word reached the disciples that Jesus was risen, in John 20, verses 3 to 10, says, Therefore, Peter therefore went out with the other disciples and were, disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb, tomb first. And he, and he, stooping down and looking in him, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths. At the end it says that, for as they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Peter saw, but said nothing, and merely just returned to his own house. Remember, brother Peter was always the one who had something to say. But this time, said nothing. John, uh, John 20, 19 to 20 tells us about how Jesus then appears before the disciples. It says that the same day at evening, between the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord again. And again, Brother Peter says nothing, does nothing. And I'm sure he's just there, just hiding in the back. They're not wanting to be seen or be heard or attract any sort of attention. This time, Doubting Thomas was not there, so Jesus appeared again, and this time he's there in John 20, 26 to 29. He appears again, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and says, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, and all that happened. Again, no mention of Peter doing anything, saying anything, or anything of the sort. Peter is in such a quandary that he goes, and the next time we hear of Peter, it's Peter saying, guys, I'm going to fish. And the Bible says that others went with him. So after these things, Jesus showed himself, that's John 21, 1 to 5, showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other sons of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing, and they said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Sounds familiar. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. So Jesus appeared to them by the sea again while Peter had gone back to what was familiar. Verse 7 then goes and says, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
Now, Simon, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he removed it, put it on, and plunged into the sea. This putting on of the garment was probably to cover his shame and nakedness. Shame rather than his nakedness. And he plunged into the sea. Imagine now the shame and embarrassment that he must have felt. First, I fell asleep three times, denied you three times, and now I have left fishing for men and am back fishing for fish. He eventually brings the net to show and encounters Jesus and has a very humbling conversation with his master, which is what we read at the start from John 21, verses 15 to 19. Different versions title it differently. Some say Jesus restores Peter and in others, Jesus. Jesus' threefold restoration of Peter. John 21, verses 15 to 17 says, when they, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now Peter was getting grieved. Like, uh-uh. Why, why do you keep asking me the same question? But Jesus asked him again, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus goes back to his original name of Simon, the one who hears. As he needed him to hear more than he needed him to be the rock right there. He needed him to hear and see what was being said and done beyond the surface. Peter is getting frustrated, but Jesus continues because he knows for the rock to be reestablished, this uncomfortable situation has to be done. Remember, he fell asleep three times. He denies him three times. And three times he restores him. Remember Jesus in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus takes him through three opportunities for restoration because we need, he needed to undo the three times he had denied him. Because he could not stand in the courts of heaven and be able to represent him into restoration if he hadn't done that because he had denied him. The enemy and the accuser of brethren would just come and say, no, 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 excuse me, this man denied you. And the word says if he denies you publicly, you must deny him before your father in heaven. So he had to take him through that un very uncomfortable scenario. But that was Peter's turning point. And you know what? He even goes further to repeat what he said earlier. Because in verse 19, he makes the invitation again and says to him, follow me. Imagine, again, after all that Peter had been through with Jesus, he has to say to him again, follow me. This here is a true example of restoration just like the psalmist cries for. Coming out of this, Peter the rock is back. When the apostles were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, stu Peter stood up and was able to share. No shame, no embarrassment, no care in the world that people may know that he previously denied Jesus and turned back to his original thing of fishing for fish. 
Now he stood there with boldness because he had been restored back to factory settings. See, he wasn't put to an earlier state. He wasn't returned to what he was two weeks ago or a month ago before he denied him. He was restored back to factory settings. See, all the things that he had learned, all the things that he had learned before, all the fear that he had learned, all the things that, all the, all the failing to speak properly he had learned, all of that, he was not restored to that to say, you know what, okay, you're in right standing, but that's still the, he was restored back to factory settings. You see, it, it tells us that in this encounter where he stood up and spoke, 3,000 were added to, that num- to their number just that day. In his first public engagement, after his denying Jesus, after sleeping, after lying, after going back to fishing, after his restoration, the first time he gets up and he speaks 3,000 people, got born again. He got back to being in God's purposes. He spoke without fear, without cowardice, even confronted people who said, I think these are drunk, and he went and he says, no. We are not drunk. Imagine, there may have been some of the high priest servants who were there and be like, hey, he's the one who cuts. And he didn't care. He didn't care because he had been restored back to what he should have been doing. See, one of the properties of a rock that is studied by people that, you know, have a fascination with rocks is called streak, which refers to the color that is revealed once a rock is pressured and broken down to powder form. So once a rock is put under pressure, there's a color that comes out. Just because a rock looks blue or golden blue or whatever kind of blue it looks like, once it crushed, the color is different from what it looks like when it's solid. Peter, when he was under pressure, indirect pressure, Jesus is the one who was going to be crucified. He, being asked by a little slave girl, by people sitting around a fire, people that had no influence, denied Jesus. Imagine if that little slave girl had run and said, there is one where they'll be like, oh, sorry, excuse me, excuse me. No slave girls allowed in here. Or someone else went like, this is fire talk, we don't care. About. But he felt so much pressure that even when the rock was crushed, the color that came out. But now, after the restoration, after he preaches And 5,000 people were added to their number. They were arrested and called again and sat and stood in front of the Jewish elders. Some of the people that were were involved in making sure that Jesus is crucified. Now Peter is standing there. And now it's his issue. Now it's no longer a second-hand issue to say, were you with him? No, it's you are the one. But what happens there is that they do whatever they did. They did whatever they wanted to do. They, 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 They forbid them from speaking. In his name, in this name, the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, stood up and answered and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. After now pressure, the sheer, the color is different. The sheer is different now from that time when it was around the fire where he crumbled. But this time he says, I know it's up to you whether it's right or wrong. But we don't care whether it's right or wrong. We don't care. What we care about is life. What we care about it's life. But we know with Brother Peter, he speaks well, and in the next moment he can say something offside. So we had to see if it happened again. What would he say? 
Acts 5, 27, 29 tells us that and when again they brought them and set them before the council and the high priest had them saying, did we not strictly command you to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intent to bring this man's blood on us. Blood, they said, let it be on us and on our children. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. This is a man who Jesus said to him, your, your problem is that you are concerned more about the things of man than the things of God. Now he is the one who is standing when he is under pressure. And he says, you know what? Yes, we are more concerned about God than man. If, this was, if the first time was a fluke, then this shows us that the sheep was different. All the learned things like fear of man, cowardice, all those other things were flushed out of his system when the restoration was made back to factory settings. Looking at what became of, let's give the Lord a hand. Looking at what became of Peter post this situation, we know that he wrote two books of the Bible. He took the gospel to the Gentiles, which could have been another issue, and he led such a revival all over. Peter was eventually crucified for his faith and all that he did. And Jesus predicted this when he restored him. He says in John 21, 18 to 19, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this to him, he said, follow me, and he followed. Peter was then crucified. That's how Peter died. But Peter said, you know what? I don't want to be crucified like my Lord Jesus. I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. This is a guy. Remember this guy? I don't know him. Me? No. But after the restoration, he's bold enough to say, I will die. He, he, he did it knowing that he's going to die that way. But he says, I will do it anyway. So how does this apply to you and I? I haven't denied Jesus. I didn't fall asleep when he said, pray. <laughs> Peter went through this because he was under pressure. He was under pressure. And he went back on things that he had previously denied he would do. Back to, on things that he had said, I've left it for good. And the pressure that you and I face daily, especially where we're living today, can cause us to be like that where we actually go back on the things that we used to say. Let me give you an example. You say, I, am, I trust in the Lord. I have confidence in him. Jeremiah 17, 7 defines and tells us what a person looks like who trusts in the Lord. It says, but blessed is one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. There will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. What an analogy, what a description. <laughs> it says, it has no worries in a year of drought. Can I ask you a question? When you hear rumors of a drought, do you get worried? Rumors, okay. Maybe it's like, ah, uh, well. When you see a fake Zera notice that fuel is now $24, do you get worried? Be honest now. When you hear rumors that the company is planning on, on, on retrenching some people, do you get worried? But you are the one who in the morning was declaring, 
Though a thousand might fall at my side, ten thousand in my right hand, it will not come near me. It's very easy to end up in a place where any news we hear causes us to worry. Any news. Because we're so used to looking out for dirt, we can't recognize gold when it comes. You get a new job and you celebrate, but then you get worried and say, eh, will I be able to do it? Because this time I'm leaving a full-time contract, I'll be on probation and it's two weeks notice. Mm, maybe let me just stay in my current job, at least I'm secure. Let me tell you a story. When we found out that we're having twins, let me be honest with you, the fear that came into me. Let me be honest with you. The fear I had in that moment was, double university fees. <laughs> I'm just being honest. They were in minus. They were not even born yet. And it's probably 18 years plus the time that they were still to be born until university fees are, are, are required. But already, I was worried about that. Instead of celebrating and saying, oh, what a blessing, God, you better... I'm already worried, university fees for, an unborn, for unborn children. Any news can cause us to worry. Another is that now you constantly live in fear. The more you listen to the news, WhatsApp messages, the more fearful you are. Right now you are just in fear. Someone coughs who's sitting behind you, you're like... Give your neighbor a high five if you're reaching for your handbag, like, you know. It's like, you, 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 you never know. It's almost like you're going to smear a uh, hand sanitizer in your face just in case the person, especially you guys in the front, put hand sanitizer because I'm, so, I'm speaking, I'm projecting, and you never know. It's like, ooh, corona, ooh. We don't know where he's been. He wasn't in church two weeks ago. Where was he? Fear. 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 Constant fear. But he has not given us a spirit of fear but of love and of power and of a sound mind. But now all of a sudden, everything that happens, if you hear a sound outside your house already, fear grips you. What if it's a, what, 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 oh. what if it's a blade? Fear. See, what happens is fear robs us of what we should have. So maybe your, your place of restoration is out of fear. The truth is, Things happen. We'll be stolen from. But you see, when the enemy steals from you, he is after exact, he's not after the thing. He's not after the, the TV. He's not after the cell phone. He's after you because now you're fearful. You've got a fractured soul. So now you're looking out for people and things and you're not looking out for the hand of God. <laughs> Caution is wisdom, but fear is sin. So it's okay to be cautious when you approach a robot at night Right? You are cautious to say, who's around me? Is there anyone coming? Is there anyone doing this? But now when it's fear, now, ah, that, now, now, now that's sin. Because the thing that you feared, like Job said, the thing I feared the most is what came on me. Sometimes we invite it. Because when someone is looking out to try and break a window, I don't know, I've never met them, but I'm just thinking, they'll be looking for someone who, who, who's a bit jittery. Because they're like, no, why is he jittery? But if you are confident there, and it's almost like if you see them coming, you look at them. Ah. I'm sure they will even just think and say, okay, why would they be so confident? Now, I'm not saying challenge them, look at them and drive away, that's caution, but don't be fearful. 
Another thing that happens is that we, we depart from the founding and guiding principles that we had. Look at Peter. He was with Jesus wherever Jesus was. But now he went away. Wouldn't even talk to anyone about the resurrection. Pressure. Pressure. When pressure came, he went back from it. One of the things that I know God, that, that God put me is that, and my family, is that we are blessed to be a blessing. But as the heat comes and pressure comes, I've noticed that it is easy to start reconsidering some of the things that we said we would do. Some of the ways would be a blessing. Start reconsidering. and sub, It often happens subconsciously. Where it's not like, you realize, no, no, hold on. Why am I now all of a sudden withholding? Because pressure causes us to almost draw back. What is it that are some of your founding principles? Maybe you, you used to say every time I, have an, a, 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 I am a hospitable person. Or whatever it is that maybe you used to say when you're driving out from church, you pick up people and you will drop them at their gates. But now because of the pressure of fuel when you're driving out, you pretend like you're doing something and you can't see so that you just don't give people lifts. Maybe you actually have less fuel now because you are not doing that. Maybe that is what opens the door for you to be able to even do more. This is where... I think this is the big one, and we'll close on this one, is that we forsake the purposes of God concerning our lives. Peter was told that you'll be a fisher of men, but when pressure came, he went back to fishing for fish. Revelations 2, 4 to 6 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me say this. The first works are not the works that you did, you did, in the past. Now, this is not a call to say, you know what, you actually started in the bus or go back. No, 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 no. This is to say, Jeremiah verse 1 to 5 says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to them. Those are the first works that you and I need to return to. This is the place of blessing. This is the place of fulfillment. This is the place where you will see the fullness of God's grace and anointing. For he anoints for specific purposes. As we see in Isaiah 61 where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. And he begins to break these things down. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and so on, and so on, and so on. You'll notice that it doesn't say that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because I am good at this or I enjoy doing this. See, too many times we have limited God to what, what, to what we are good at and to what we, are, what we enjoy doing. You see, God doesn't... <laughs> just because you are good at something doesn't mean you should be doing it. Just because you are good at something or you enjoy it doesn't mean that you should be doing it. We've also allowed people to define us and not God. Imagine Peter, people who met Peter and would say, ah, but you were a great fisherman. Remember your last Lord. Go back to fishing. Auntie Jesus is gone. Others have said, why don't you come and run my corporation? I saw you how you had your master's back. I need a number two like you, so come and do I see a gift in you. No, no, no. What has God defined you to do? Because if we focus on what people see, people do not see as God sees. His ways are higher than our ways. So we may give you something that looks huge, but in the context of what God wants to do, it is small. For too long we've been defined by what we do. Hi, I'm Milton. I'm a software engineer. 
That's how we define ourselves. Hi, I'm a doctor. Hi, I'm, but that's not who you really are. That's what you do, but that's not who you really are. But, uh, okay, let's talk about enjoying things quickly. Enjoying things. No, we ask you, so what do you want to do? What do you enjoy? But you, you only enjoy it because that's what you know. How many of you enjoy the weather in Brazil? Yeah, I see some hands. Maybe I'm hoping that you have been there and you've experienced it for yourself. So you can say, I enjoy it. But how can you say you enjoy something that you've never known? How many of you have ever gone and said, may I enjoy oysters, but you've never been to Ocean Basket and never had an oyster? You think you do. But God knows us better than we know ourselves. Sometimes you, you start doing something that you actually are like, why am I doing this? But you find, you know what? I love it. I didn't like it at first, but I love it. Let me give you a quick story. A few years ago, or just before we got married, my wife was leading Campus Ignited, the UZ. Like, I mean, she was uh, working with the team on the ground. Then when we got married, I was now supposed to support her. But when people used to come for strategy meetings at our house, I would go into the bedroom and they would do their thing because I used to say Campus Ignite is no. Then I was forced. All my other responsibilities were taken away. And I was forced to be at campus ignite. <laughs> but I tell you, I enjoyed it so much. I worked through it. I enjoyed it so much. I would go anywhere, anywhere. If it was to Gweru, let's go to Gweru. If it's to Bindura, let's go. Wherever it is, because there was such joy and fulfillment. Now, if I had said no because I don't enjoy it, I would never have known the place of fulfillment. I would never have gone known the place of God's purpose. <laughs> but... Milton, I'm only doing this because I need to survive. Maybe that's the problem. I'm doing this because I need to survive. Maybe that's actually the problem. We are more concerned about surviving than we are about thriving. See, staying in Zim and doing business in Zim has shown me that you find what you look for. If all you want is enough to survive, that's what you'll find for. But if you decide that I want to thrive, you'll probably find to thrive. Anyway, let's end here. In chapter 5 of Acts, Peter and the other apostles are jailed, and they're tried over and over again. Over and, they're trying to decide, what do we do with this? Then we meet this man named Gamaliel in Acts 5, 35 to 39, and he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be a somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Jesus of, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew many people after him. He also perished and all who obeyed him dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For it, if, if this is the plan or the work of man, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. So if you want to fight the enemy, if you want to fight the enemy, do your own thing. Focus on your own purposes. But if you want God to fight for you, then make sure that you are invested and aligned to his purposes. Because if it is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, if you fight it, it will be as if you are fighting God himself. Today, I am believing that there is to be a restoration, a realigning of who we are, 
a restoration of the things that we do, a restoration to factory settings, a restoration to first works, a restoration to what God has called us to be. Too many of us are going through life just doing whatever. But as we thought about why is it that you are here living on this earth at such a time as this? Why are you in Zimbabwe? Why are you even sitting here? Why? Because God put you here on purpose. If it wasn't on purpose, maybe you would have been in the time of Moses. Maybe you would have been one of the ones screaming, make for us a calf, make for us. But you are here now for a reason. So you and I need to begin to work out that purpose. You and I need to go back and say, God, restore us, oh God. Restore us, oh God, back to factory settings. What are the things that you saw in us? What are the things that you saw in me? What are my guiding principles? What exactly is it that I am here for? Because if we don't, we'll just live a mediocre life. You know what? It may look like you're prospering, but on the inside you're suffering because you're saying there must surely be more to life than this. You and I need to go back. You and I need to go back to first works. You and I need to go back to the very things that God created us for. This is not the time for us to just Time is moving. We will never have today again. We will never have these years again. We will never have 2020 again. So make sure now that you do the very things that you should be doing. Align yourself back to his purposes. Stand on his word again. Believe again. Hope again. Believe in him again. Be filled with faith once again. Be filled with faith once again. This is, we, we say it that this is the time you need faith to live in this life. But we are not living by faith. You and I need to go back and say, you know what, God? I know you would not put me here to suffer. I know you would not put me here to suffer. Even a prophet was, was fed by the ravens. Hi, no, no, we can't just be happy with surviving. As we align ourselves back to him, we will thrive both in the things that we do and the things that God will do for us. You see, as we, as long, most of us just want to ask God to bless us, but why would God bless you in the situation that you are in when you are not doing the things that he has put you on this purpose? Why would he bless you? Why would he give you grace? Why would he empower you to do things that he has not called you to do? Let's go back. Restore back to first works. Restore back to factory settings. Not a pre-saved state, but back to factory settings. Back where it all began. Back where it all was said. And I'm praying and believing that God today as you restore us, as you restore us, oh God, you would remove all the things that we have, we have accepted, all the things that, all the excess baggage that we have taken on, that we should not be taken on, taking on, and that you are stripping us back. You are stripping us back to exactly what it is that we should be, what we should have, the attitudes that we should have, have, the things that we should be doing, everything. See, what happens is we go through life and we accumulate excess baggage. Now when it's time to operate in a particular way, we have a filter that makes us see because of all the things that would have happened. But I'm believing that God would restore us. That, oh Lord, you would restore us today. That you would cause your face to shine upon us. See, Proverbs 24, 16, this is the last scripture, I promise Proverbs 24, 16, last scripture, but two versions. From the Amplified, it says, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in a time of disaster and collapse. The Passion Translation, For the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. But the unrighteous are brought down by just one calamity and will never be able to rise again. But of us, it says, they will stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. I trip, I fall, I get up. I trip, I fall, I get up. I trip, I fall, I, I keep getting up. I keep, I do not wallow in that mess to say, ah, you know what? Uh, no, no, no. We keep getting up. Restored. 
back to factory settings. You and I will sleep. That's, that's almost guaranteed. And I accept it. That it's highly likely. Maybe some are more perfect than others, but understand that there is a possibility that you're going to sleep. Embrace it. Because if you don't, you will just... Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.